This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. I'm Amy Brown. Up first today, we're going to hear from some Mainers over 60 who are part of a new group called Third Act. Third Act is a national movement of older people who are banding together to use their financial and demographic clout to exert pressure on financial institutions to stop funding projects that contribute to climate change. They have a day of action planned this month, and they are looking for more members of the community to join them. Hi, my name is Chuck Spanger. I live in Scarborough, Maine. I'm a longtime climate activist. I took to climate change at the same time that my oldest daughter did. We both read Bill McKibben's book back in 1989, one of the first climate change books for lay people. And I've been uh, drawn to it, compelled to it ever since. I've been active, in particular in Maine, I've been active in uh, 350 Maine for some years. And uh, I was also involved in uh, Citizens Climate Lobby and uh, various uh, legislative campaigns for climate legislation. But uh, 350 Maine was the main thing. And uh, 350 Maine was founded by Bill McKibben some time ago. And it was uh, initially uh, an organization that was focused on divestment. Interestingly, it's focused on divestment still. 350 Maine uh, was was largely uh, an activist organization, did many, many direct actions. And we felt very proud to be uh, one of the groups that informed the citizenry of Maine about climate change, bringing bringing it to their attention constantly. 350 kind of lost its mojo uh, with the, with the uh, with covid that was a time when uh, a great deal of legislation was passed in the state of maine and that had a that was a factor in 350 kind of dwindling away the people who were involved in the activism went to passing legislation so after that there was a void who's going to do activism and so along came bill mckibben once more da-da-da-da, and he founded Third Act, thirdact.org. Uh, I urge you all to go there. And that is uh, an organization of seniors, of which he is one, and I am one, and all of us panelists are ones, uh, who are taking on climate change as, uh, as the primary responsibility of the third act of our lives. We have participated in the uh, creation of a climate crisis, and we wish, wish to correct our, our legacy. I'm Ridgely Fuller, and I live in Belfast, Maine. And I have spent most of my life, or certainly since my I was no longer principally a mother, um, as my kids grew older, as an activist in um, a variety of social justice and earth justice causes. And climate change was always a little bit of a puzzle as to what I could do. What I could do would really feel like I could be effective. It just seemed like it was an overwhelming and very depressing and nihilistic kind of issue that there was not much that like one person like me could do other than I did things like I went to Standing Rock and I went to line three, both water bodies that were being affected by oil pipelines, did a lot of work here in the Belfast area around the TD banks and their large investment in tar sands oil. But it was aside from, like joining, you know, Sierra Club or um, or giving money to the Sunrise Movement, it was really hard for me to figure out what to do. And 
I heard about Third Act, and the thing that really excited me about it was it was for folks over 60. I've always been also really interested in being part of movements, um, and I felt like folks over 60 are a largely untapped reservoir of incredibly sensitive and caring um, folks who often felt disempowered and isolated. So part of my interest in the third act is to help kind of create a movement of seniors who um, who really care and want to do something about the environment. And I think because Bill McKibben's outlines very specific things to do, for example, stop the dirtiest banks from investing more money in fossil fuel, having that one focus or several very clear focuses gives us a sense of of a very purposeful action that we can take and that we can take together. And to me, that's really exciting. It's, it's interesting because just last week I met some new people here in my community. And when they popped out of the car, I noticed they all had gray hair. And I think before Third Act Maine, I wouldn't have noticed that. But now I'm just so excited to meet elderly. And, um, you know, we've been tabling and stuff. I want people to know about Third Act and that it can be um, – a very rewarding experience. So I think that's it for right now. That's how I came to join Third Act. And I really wanted folks up here to hear from Chuck and Tom because they have really started an amazing, very, very active and exuberant group down south that we could all participate in and benefit from. So thank you for letting us be on your show. Thank you. Thanks for joining us and thanks for the suggestion. And by down south, you mean southern Maine. Right. Right. Tom. Okay. Um, I am Tom McCulka, and I live in Cape Elizabeth with my wife, Kathy, and uh, we're both a team on this. Kathy's sitting next to me. If I say something or don't forget to say something, she's going to give me an elbow. Uh, (laughs) Feel free uh, to put her right on the mic. Okay. All right. I am um, one of the few scientists in our group. I have a doctorate in biochemistry, but I spent a number of years running an environmental laboratory in Albany, New York. I went from there into teaching science in high school, and I also taught it for three years uh, at the University of Maine, USM. Um, I have followed, followed climate science since Al Gore awakened me to it with the inconvenient truth. And so I have, every time I got a chance to read a paper, I wanted to see what the scientists were saying, how cautious they were, uh, what they were predicting. And so I have spent a lot of time doing that. So I may speak to that. Uh, I just want to say that we've been, my wife and I have been activists most of our lives. And part of our first act was coming to Maine in 1972. And we were, we got together with a, a union organizer out of Boston for the UFW. And Kathy and I ran the UFW boycott of Shaw's Supermarkets in Portland, Maine, from probably 1972 to partway into 1974. And we ended up being taken to court by Shaw's, losing in court uh, our ability to pick it effectively before it, before Shaw's. But in the end, and I'm going to come back to this concept, we're talking about a boycott of these banks and this was my first experience with a boycott. And here were these lowly farm workers from California who organized a nationwide boycott that ended up with them forming a union. And uh, the other boycott was 
the uh, boycott of Polaroid during the apartheid um, experience because they were supplying the apartheid government with the ability to take those identity photos of the black residents of Cape Town. And so uh, that was also successful. So I think boycotts are an effective tool. And um, as elders, um, we do control 70% of the wealth of the nation. So we have economic clout. Chuck, can you give us some background on how this national group formed? You've mentioned that it was founded by Bill McKibben. How long has it been around? What was the original mission? What else can you tell us about it? Well, it was formed a little more than a year ago, so still a fledgling. It was formed with the intention of uh, developing uh, what are called working groups in various geographical locations and uh, at various affinity um, interests. So we have geographical working groups and we have affinity working groups. For instance, we have a lawyer's group. We have an education group. We have a labor group and a a number of these different particular interest groups that are trying to organize their constituency around climate as well. Probably the greatest numbers are in the geographical groups. And we are Third Act Maine. And there are something like we're having this uh, National Day of Action coming up on March 21st. We'll talk about that a lot. But there are... uh, dozens and dozens of uh, organizations participating in this all over the country. So Third Act Maine is but one contingent of this, Uh, but um, it has energy everywhere. So Bill started it, uh, as as Risley said, with the purpose of bringing the elders of America, many of whom were, were activists in their first generation, all three of us included, I was an anti-war activist. I was a uh, an environmental activist. I was a racial justice activist, uh, and and uh, and so forth, uh, right up, right up on through, till I gradually became exclusively a climate activist because I came to appreciate it as the overarching issue that uh, none of the other we can make progress in all the other issues, but if we don't make progress in climate, what's the point? So. Um, that's that's where Bill is coming from, and uh, we very much believe in uh, in alliances with other organizations in the in the social justice front, and we have uh, made a great effort to perform to form alliances with other organizations in Maine. Tom Risley, just a yeah, a point of history. Um, Chuck and I belong to another group, which was in existence and it had about 150 members called Elders for Future Generations which grew out of OLLI, which is the, what's the elder educational effort that took place on USM campus at the WISH Camper Center. And we belonged to that group for a number of years. And it really formed around the issue of tar sands and protect South Portland's effort to keep the tar sands from being pumped to South Portland. And um, it was great. So we felt energized as it was all elders and But we got to a point after the success of the Protect South Portland effort where many of the members didn't want to do anything. They really were satisfied with learning about the issues but really weren't going to act. So we were pretty frustrated. And along came Bill McKibben and Third Act and a woman, Kathleen Sullivan from Freeport, who started 
Freeport Climate Action Now. And um, she was featured on, I think, the first nationwide meeting, group meeting of Third Act. And there was this woman from Maine who was talking about climate change. So Chuck and I heard that. And I said, this woman's a force of nature. We got her to speak to the elders, our elders for the future group, to try and elicit some some response from folks and, and a willingness to do something. And um, so that was the basis, that kind of nucleus of three people who said, let's try and put something together. And it turned out elders for the future generations of the 150 people that belong to that. We got 10 people who would come with us to form third act Maine, And, you know, the rest of them were not, they wanted to sit on their hands and, and uh, weren't concerned. So that was the beginning, and uh, we now have a working. We struggled for months. We had some, you know, people come on. We had some ego problems. Everything you go through starting a fledgling organization. And we have finally arrived at a really good group of people, doctors, lawyers, teachers, entertainers, uh, just a wonderful group of people. And for uh, for me, it has been, and for my wife, Kathy, it's been a wonderful experience meeting a whole new group of people who really want to do something. Does the group have actual in-person meetings or what kind, What do you do to network across the state? Or are there chapters in different parts of the state and those chapters meet together? What is, how does that function? We're boomers and Zoomers. <laughs> We're boomers and Zoomers. Yeah, we Zoom exclusively. Yeah. That's why 321-23, the action that we're hosting in Portland and elsewhere, as you're going to hear about, is uh, very exciting to us because uh, Third Act is going to emerge from the uh, the Zoom shadows and the, the, <laughs> the, the physical reality. So, yeah, Zoom meetings. Zoom meetings are phenomenal because we're older. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of people – Getting in their car and going to meetings at night and so forth uh, is uh, really a, a challenge. Zoom meetings make everything so easy. We meet in the daytime. We're retired. We have time. So uh, it's it's a lot easier than uh, trying to organize people who are employed. Well, it seems like it would be like the climate-friendly way to meet anyway. One of the big criticisms exactly. of some of the big international climate summits is the actual carbon footprint of getting everybody from all around the world into one place to actually participate in them. Richly Fuller, uh, you're in Belfast and part of the group that's, or part of some folks there that are plugging into this group. Tell me about that, the people in this local area, and then maybe you could start the discussion of what is going to be happening coming up in March, what the uh, days of action or the day of action is about. Sure. Uh, well, first, I just want to add a, a little bit more to kind of, because I came into the Third Act Maine, probably I was one of the newest. I've only been a part of it maybe a month. And I, there is such warmth on Zoom. I've been part of a lot of Zoom meetings, but this group, there is warmth. I'm constantly being asked, what do you need? What can we do? It's really, and, and none of these folks, as far as I know, or very few have ever met each other in person. So the night or the evening after the event, we're going to all have dinner together. And it's going to be, I think, amazing. Um, but it just, and so that's really when I finally got involved in Third Act Maine, I'd certainly known about it for a year. But when I finally got involved, it's because of the warmth of the folks who have been on that Zoom call. And um, 
and the offering kind of for help. And so, and just in terms of part of what I'm really interested in is, is letting people in this area, the Belfast area, know about third act because it isn't just a one-time action um, on March 21st. This is going to be a long-term campaign. And so I really, I think we see ourselves as educating, doing a lot of outreach. And I've been amazed at how easy it is to recruit. You all are Ollie, which is kind of the senior college of Portland. And I went to our little senior college here for an hour just tabling. And it's, it's very sparse because it's not a lot of in-person classes. Um, that's mostly still on Zoom, but I, I was amazed at the reception. Probably half the people who signed up said they wanted to be part of an action without us even being able to describe what that action would be. I mean, that's amazing. We got, um, we have a volunteer photographer who took some pictures of us just tabling and that became part of their classroom project. I mean, this is so cool. And, um, then, you know, a newspaper article is being generated for aging well in Waldo County. We were invited to do that. And I've gotten connected with a church organization that has a climate action group. So that's just from like one hour of tabling. And I think that's how exciting people are kind of about this issue. And it's, so it's a matter of getting the word out. And as we can talk about later, it's a matter of making sure that we have activities and actions that are available, as you said, Amy, to people of all different abilities and all different geographic locations, you know. So we'll certainly be, you know, be working on that and listening to how folks want us to get involved and what parts of climate and banks and oil production, what are they, how do people see us being most effective? Okay. We also don't forget how... We have two things that are, I think, unique to this area. One is Jared Golden, who was just recently one of the only, no, he was the only Democrat to vote with the Republicans against um, or in favor of a massive new drilling by the federal government on public land and public, you know, water. So we have Jared Golden. And also in this particular area, we have had some environmental successes. And I think about the Sears Point uh, port tank issue where it was people showing up constantly that led the folks who wanted to put their tank in here at Sears port to just to leave. And I think we're really pretty sure we have another success around Nordic aqua farms is that they're going to be forced to pull out due to court and Matt, people just being five years involved. And, in, you know, so I think there is, I think there's a hunger for this kind of, um, so we have successes and we have to build on those successes. And I think we, you know, we can do it. We were asked maybe to see if we would, could, would want to do a presence here in Belfast. And it's hard. I can't give like specific information as to its nature because first our, what we're trying to do is highlight the Portland the, the really big rally in Portland, um, which will take place in the afternoon. So we're trying to be strategic and not interfere with that, but to have it earlier in the morning, maybe even at eight in the morning. And so that, so then people will be able to go down to Portland if they want to. You're listening to Maine Current on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. We are speaking with members of Third Act Maine, Ridgely Fuller, Tom McCulka, and Chuck Spranger. What is this day of action all about? 
All right, I'll start, Chuck, and you can fill in. Um, okay. Yeah, the day of, of action is going to be at um, at um, Monument Square, and it just so happens that two of the biggest, dirtiest banks, Bank of America and Chase Bank, have office their main offices on either end of that square. So it's a perfect place. It's a public space. It's a perfect place to have this demonstration. So what we're going to be asking, we've already asked both of these banks if we could have a meeting with them. And and we've been denied. So we're going to ask them three times. And uh, on the on the day of the action, we're going to send two groups to either end of the square while we're doing other things to once again ask for a meeting with those banks. So that will complete the third time. And we do not anticipate that there are any things around the country. Some banks have been willing to meet, not in Maine. We haven't even heard from the vice president of Chase Bank. I heard from the president, Brian King of Bank of America. He sent me a nice letter and basically said, we're doing great things for the environment. And I read his materials and replied to him with a letter saying, nice going. This is all greenwashing. I'm sorry we don't believe you. Can we have a meeting? So on that day, we're going to try and get our, our you know, a, another attempt at a meeting. But we're going to have um, we're going to have music. We're going to have a play. Uh, Chuck's involved with 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 uh, organizing this play. A uh, lots of colorful banners, and we're going to have people elders in rocking chairs, maybe some with their walkers um, out in front, and it's a perfect photo op because right in Monument Square is the big Bank of America sign right behind us. So it's going to work well, and so we're going to be here for an hour and a half. We're going to have some short speeches, no more than two minutes a person. And we're going to really lay out the case that um, it's all about um, people not agreeing. Unless these banks say we're out of the business now, we're not going to be financing any new projects. We're going to ask people to stop doing business with these banks to boycott them. So, and, yeah, what is, what are they actually doing? What are the banks that you're talking about besides Bank of America and Chase? I know there are a few others. I think Citibank is one of them. What kinds of specific demands do you have of them? Okay. Our demand is that they stop expanding the fossil fuel industry. This is just they, they, they persist in, uh, in lending money to the fossil fuel companies that want to develop new oil and gas fields. They will not stop. And uh, they greenwash the fact that they're doing this. And it's we're, we're primarily targeting five banks. Those are uh, Bank uh, Chase is the worst bank in the world in this area, Bank of America and uh, Citibank and Wells Fargo. And uh, more relevant to us here in Maine is TD Bank, the uh, the king of uh, investment in tar sands, which is you know such a filthy source of uh, of uh, energy. So, are you asking them to divest from investments or to stop loaning money to projects? No, we're not asking them to break contracts. We're asking them to stop development. No new contracts. No new developments. You know, bank, like Tom said, with the greenwashing, Bank of America has a statement in their long uh, piece of literature that I read, which says that by 2021, at the end of 2021, there are no new investments in uh, identified fossil fuel projects. It's so 
identified as the key. If you, if you know, they can have they can have identified a fossil fuel project, a place where there is known to be massive amounts of fossil fuel, but no economic activity has happened there yet. But they've identified it, so they can uh, if if it's been identified by. 2021, they're going to go ahead and do it. That could be 2026. That could be 2031. Um, and the the the, uh, the science at the United Nations says quite clearly that we have to stop extracting fossil fuel from the earth. We have to keep it in the ground. That is the mo- the first and foremost step for having a meaningful approach toward uh, the climate problem. And as Chuck said, the Chase Bank is by far the worst. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, there was a congressional hearing probably a month and a half ago. And Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of Chase Bank, whose yearly remuneration is $37 million a year, he was just given a bonus to, to attract him or to keep him online for the next five years. And that would be $52 million extra added to his $37 million a year. So Jamie was before the Congress, and he was asked by a Democratic congressman, um, what's your, are you going to stop funding new fossil fuel projects? Just what we're asking. And he turned, and he was snarky and angry, and he said, stopping funding fossil fuel projects is the pathway to hell. And it's interesting he used that terminology because the Secretary General of the UN at the beginning of the COP27, the most latest, you know, the, the, the climate uh, um, um, meeting that had took place in Egypt, he used the terminology that continuing to search and develop fossil fuels puts us on the climate on a pathway to hell. So it's an interesting twist that Jamie used. And I think I'd recommend if anybody really wants to read a critical article on this that outlines how these banks are obfuscating and, you know, it's a term called greenwashing. There's it. We also could say lying about what they're really doing. Um, there's a great article in Fortune magazine came out on February 2nd that talks about all the things the banks are doing. And uh, and even the New York Times has a climate um, newsletter. And just to point out, the SEC just fined um, not J.P. Morgan, but Goldman Sachs four million dollars for saying that for lying about their investments, basically saying to investors, these are green investments. These are solid green investments. And they were found to be lying. And so the hope is also by our actions and alerting people to this and getting this out there that the SEC is going to take a more active role in keeping banks like Chase and Bank of America from really obfuscating and lying about what they're really doing. And, you know, that uh, that four million dollars is really just a drop in the bucket to one of these massive banks. They do the greenwashing and they, they're, they're boasting about all the wonderful things they're doing for the climate. By, by 2050, we'll have net zero and they use all this terminology that's really kind of bogus because they, the measures they use to uh, determine uh, their progress are uh, all backloaded, future, future achievements, you know, that can all be, uh, all be fudged and abandoned. 
And, and, and many of these banks are abandoning their pledges already, as are the fossil fuel companies. And it, it must be noted that uh, some banks, some really big banks, are taking the, the steps in the proper direction. Uh, Tom, what is the name of that? Yeah. The biggest British bank? The biggest bank, it was like in the top 10 banks of the world, HSBC Bank of, U, of the UK. They have finally said, this is what we're, this is what we've been asking and we'll continue to ask of these big four banks is that, okay, if you say you're going to go green, okay, give us a timeline. Tell us, when are you going to stop investing? Don't say by 2050, we're going to be here. No. What are you going to do in 2024? You know, an HBSC bank, which up until then was a big lender, said, we are out of new investments now. And so it's great. We have an example that we're asking them to follow the lead. Ridgely, did you want to jump in here? Well, I just think that's really important to point that out, that some banks have begun to listen to the arguments of about climate chaos and to take steps. And so the folks involved in third act or whatever climate organization is can take, you know, take some success from that and to keep plugging away um, because it is possible. Now, I think this is a good time to bring up the, the fact that we have, we also have a pledge campaign in the long run. You anticipated uh, my next question. <laughs> In the long run, we uh, in, expect to have a great number of uh, elders pledging to uh, close their accounts at the bad banks if they have, you know, with reasonable amount of time, refused to uh, make their own pledge to stop doing this. Then customers will close their accounts at those banks and move to other accounts. So we're of course asking people to find other. Uh, banks first and to do this very thoughtfully and uh, we're not uh, advising people what to do with their money but we're and but we are identifying some uh, banks there are many many banks in Maine smaller banks that are very clean every virtually every credit union is and most of our local uh, savings banks are too so they don't have investments in fossil fuel industry they might have some investments in local fossil fuel infrastructure but it's small small potatoes and I think this is important to point out too, Chuck, what you just did, because the, the thorough research that is going on within Third Act right now, and especially maybe all for, I know is Third Act Maine, to really help people make these decisions, because um, they're difficult decisions. Checking out what's a clean bank requires a lot of very specific knowledge. I know my former husband, he's been part of Bank of America for years and years and decades, and he's finally said um, he he wants to change and, you know, he needs to know that where he can go. And I've been interested to see, too, tabling is how many folks do come up and say they have these credit cards. And some of them, like working assets, it was taken over by Bank of America, but when it was working assets, it was considered a pretty progressive um, credit card. And so I think that, you know, we're We'll be having, hopefully, a, a ceremony soon of people, you know, cutting up their credit cards and um, acknowledging it's a big step and an important step to take. You mentioned early in the interview, Tom, that elders have about 70 percent of the wealth in this country. They also represent a large proportion of people in this country and a few others where the population is getting older. 
is a large proportion of people. It seems like the power, not just with the money that's behind that group, because there are an awful lot of people who also are living in poverty who are elders and don't have the option of going out and going to work and making more money, but just the clout of getting together as a block and influencing decision-making. Do you foresee other ways that banding together, uh, other financial things that you might be looking at, like maybe retirement plan investments or other ways that you might be able to join together and use your collective power, whether it's financial or, or just the strength in numbers to influence other other aspects of climate change? You anticipated what one of the th- next thing I was going to say is, what's our next step beyond the banks and beyond trying to get people to, to, to not do business with these banks, to boycott these banks? Um, the next step is going to be looking at retirement investment, uh, like the main state public employees union, their investments. And, uh, you know, Harvard has divested, Yale's divested. I, they say over a trillion dollars has been divested from various. I, I'm very proud to say that as a member of the Maine, uh, the Maine, New York State Teachers Union, we have completely divested. Our, our retirement funds are completely divested. I, I'm, actually, I'm actually sad to say that, uh, that in Maine, the bill came through the legislature that said the employees union retirement fund should divest now. It went to the attorney general, who was appointed by Janet Mills. Their judgment was, sorry, but we are not going to, we don't think this bill should be uh, followed because the people who run that account, that retirement fund have a fiduciary responsibility. And basically saying, as long as you can make a lot of good money investing in oil stocks and the oil industry, that's going to be good for Maine retirees. And we don't see any problem with that. And they shouldn't be made to divest, which to me is that may be another place where we end up at the attorney general's office up in Augusta. One of the other things is is that young people, we really are reaching out to young people. We're basically saying, you know, we screwed this up for you. We rode the the big oil wave. We had great, you know, middle lives. We didn't care about the size of the cars we drove. It was, you know, we were unconscious in that sense. And now we're trying to make up for that. But in terms of the young people, I mean, kids in college, you know, they're all offered credit cards when they get to college. And what we're trying to make them conscious is you don't want, when you get the college, they're offering credit, there's four credit cards you want nothing to do with. And I know young people are so, and some of them have like five or six credit cards. You know, they go from one to the next. It's no big deal for them to switch credit card companies. So that's the group that I'm really targeting because what we have learned, we do have a lot of money, our generation, but we've also found there are a lot of people in our generation with money who are hesitant to switch banks. They're kind of set in their ways. And even though you, you know, we try to make the argument to them, but we have, to be honest, gotten resistance from elderly people. So the young, we see the young as the ones that we really want to get educated. And, uh, you know, here's an example. Bill McKibben teaches at, at Newbury College. 
Middlebury. Middlebury. He found out that at Middlebury, Chase is the premier card that the school, the administration, when the kids come in, they get their, you know, freshman orientation. Here's your material on Chase credit cards right under the nose of Bill McKibben. So that's going on all over the country. And we want to stop that. Let's get into the specifics before we wrap up of what is going to be happening on the National Day of Action on March 21st. You talked a little bit about Portland, but uh, and it's going to be in Monument Square. What time? Are there carpools coming from other places? And Ridgely, it sounds like the details aren't completely solid on what Belfast is going to be doing yet, but maybe you could also let people know if there's a website they can watch or an email list that they can follow so that you can keep anybody who's interested in either attending the Belfast event or possibly carpooling to the Portland one in the loop on that information. So, Tom, do you want to start with uh, Portland and then Ridgely can jump in with Belfast? Yeah, I mean, we are our, our main emphasis and all of our time is now spent trying to build the numbers for that rally. We have partnered with, I think, 12 now other partners, you know, um, Peace Action Maine, Veterans for Peace, um, the Sierra Club. Um, yeah, Natural Resources Council of Maine. There, there are um, um, a number of groups. And, and so we are they are sending out. Uh, messages when they send out their um, to their uh, constituents, they are sending out a note about that to try. And we've also um, we've had articles and we've done a podcast with uh, the Maine People's Alliance. They have sent out the word to all of their members, and so we that's our what we're actively tr- um, doing is trying to build those numbers for that day. So it's been a big push, and we think we we're, we're going to have a good crowd. Since you've rejoined us, Chuck, what is the time of the event in Portland? The details about the, uh, when it's going to be starting and so forth. Okay. Well, the uh, the band is going to start playing at uh, 2.50 on the 21st, Tuesday, uh, in front of the Bank of America. And uh, our demonstration will officially begin at 3. And we'll wrap up at 4.30 p.m. over at the uh, Chase Bank. For those who are uh, less mobile, it is possible to drive a vehicle down the side street off Congress Street and let people off literally 30 feet from the from the front of the event. And uh, we can and people can bring a chair, bring a wheelchair, whatever we'll, we'll accommodate all those people who are less mobile right in front. So there's no reason for an event. Of course, the vehicle has to drive away. But that's easily taken care of. So we want to accommodate everybody. We expect that many, many seniors are, are very mobile, and uh, we hope to see a number, a great number of them there. In fact, if you are mobile enough, throw throw a rocking chair over your head and carry it, carry it in, because uh, it's uh, it's great visuals. We intend to have a uh, some street theater there that will demonstrate the uh, the the uh, history of. Uh, of uh, bank investment in fossil fuels, uh, right up through and to the uh, the intervention by Third Act and its allies uh, at the moment. So we're going to dr- dramatize and tell that story through through street theater. Uh, we're going to have singing and chanting and music and dancing. So um, 
we intend for it to be great fun. And it's very important to, to say that one of the guiding principles of third act is to have fun, bring joy to this movement. We don't intend to be too serious and staid and angry. It's not our nature. It's not what we want to be. It's not the nature of a movement that is, uh, it, it has, has a future and can, can uh, transform this earth as it is. We need to bring joy and love. Richly, up in Belfast, on the same day you mentioned trying not to conflict with what's happening in Portland if people want to go to both things. Do you have any sense of yet sure. of what you're going to be doing, or uh, should people just get in touch with you if they want to be part of yeah. planning something out? Absolutely. So if anybody and everybody wants who can't go to Portland in the afternoon. We want to make sure that we don't conflict with Portland. So our event will probably be at eight in the morning and it's a question of where it will be. Um, it will last shorter, but it's going to be significant and meaningful. And we're certainly um, aiming to spread the word. Okay. And so I have a phone number, which is 207-573-0430. If you'd like to let us know that you're interested and we'll keep you up to date. We also have a, a Gmail account, which is third act midcoast main at gmail.com. Uh, the third act is, is three RD. It's the um, numeral third act. Also, it's all small letters. Third act midcoast main at gmail.com again or 207-573-0430. And we just, we have people on the phone waiting to get your calls. Will some of you be possibly carpooling from there down to the Portland event as well? Absolutely. That's what we wanted to say is if anybody wants to carpool going down or is interested in participating in the event, please get in touch with us. I want to mention that uh, it's very important to be aware that we uh, fully intend to be a statewide organization and that people who from elsewhere uh, are where they're asked to come down to Portland, but they they can't do that. So be it. But they can start a group in where they are. Uh, it's noteworthy that uh, TD Bank has bank branches in 35 different cities and towns across the state. The other banks aren't so vastly uh, present, but uh, TD Bank is everywhere. And uh, so there, there's uh, work that you can do wherever you are in Maine to uh, get started, form a group, and get going on this. People should have the, the website for Third Act National. Thirdact.org gets you to all the information about Third Act. You can go there and you can learn much more than you ever wanted to learn about banks, bank financing. And, uh, and you can learn about uh, what the different organizations around the country are doing. But in particular, you can learn about what Maine is doing. And the way to do that is to go to thirdact.org, click on working groups, and then click on Maine. There's a, there's a national map that appears, and it has a, a teardrop on the state of Maine. Click on that, and you can sign up to be a member of our organization. It's just a couple of clicks, and you're, you'll be getting our newsletter. You'll be in touch hearing from us, and you'll be part of our organization. I'll put so, those links up, the links and the phone numbers up on the archives along with today's program as well in the show notes. We have, uh, we, there is a thirdactmain.org. 
what what is it? Third Act Maine at gmail.com, right? Okay. Yeah. And yeah. the uh, meetings that you were talking about having via Zoom, is that something that people can find information about how to plug into those on the website as well? Or do when they, they email you about that? When they sign up, they'll get all the information they want to uh, to become involved. And we have we certainly need lots of people. Uh, we're a growing organization, and we need people to fill roles in the organization. And we we need people with skills. People with skills and time makes power. I want to thank you for having us, Amy. Thanks for joining yes, thank me. You. Thank you very much, Amy. It was yeah. great. Yeah. Those were Third Act Maine members, Ridgely Fuller, Tom McCulka, and Chuck Spranger. The email address again is thirdactmaine at gmail.com or thirdactmidcoastmaine at gmail.com. And third is the number three RD. You're listening to Maine Current on WERU-FM. I'm Amy Brown. As we reported last month on Maine Currents, AIM, the multinational scrap metal company that owns part of the former mill site in Bucksport, has asked the town to partner with them to reopen an old landfill on the site. Legally, they're required to have a municipal partner in order to do so. As the town and the local residents started looking into the proposal last fall, they learned that there are serious problems with the existing landfill, which is unlined and likely leaching into the Penobscot River. For more details, check out February's Main Currents on our archives at WERU.org. We did an hour-long program on the topic last month. Some concerned Bucksport residents have reached out to communities upriver who are dealing with Juniper Ridge, and together they're going to be holding a public forum tonight in Bucksport. Don White is one of the organizers. Welcome back, Don. What's going on? Tell us what this meeting is going to be about, who's going to be there, the who, what, when, where, and why of it all. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Uh, yeah, we're at Brown Hall, which is on the corner of Elm and Franklin and Bucksport. We're going to host a meeting, uh, Citizens Forum, Citizens Run. Uh, this is our second one with our friends from upriver, Ed Spencer, Laura Sanborn, and, and Harry Sanborn, who have lots of experience with landfills and also the, specifically with the Juniper Ridge landfills and the the difficulties that it that it has brought uh, to them up there, and, and so the and we're going to also couple it with with our issues down here in Bucksport with the attempt by uh, American Iron and Metal to reopen the the uh, landfill down here that, as you pointed out, already has serious problems, um, et cetera. But the but the the real kicker is, Amy, is that landfills in general have serious problems. And we, we've got to stop the pipeline of putting our trash in the ground and then, and or, and then having the residue go into the rivers, go into the groundwater and go into your drinking water, which it is doing. And it does in all landfills. But the one in Bucksport is especially sensitive since it's one tenth of a mile to the nearest well of a resident and it's also four tenths of a mile from the the town's drinking water and monotone wells around it are already showing uh, toxins and there's several different kinds of toxins so what we're going to do is just highlight the issues and also attempt to not only 
do we need to stop the ridiculous nature of throwing stuff in the ground here in Bucksport? But we also want to highlight what landfills are doing to our overall environment. And with all the recent issues around PFAS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, people are now becoming aware that landfills have serious long-term health and economic problems. It's uh, For so long, we've just been doing what's the cheapest. And the cheapest way to get rid of waste for a lot of the stuff is to throw it in the ground and call it good. Well, it's not. Uh, you have health issues. We have people, you know, uh, why are people getting serious illnesses and stuff? We just keep doing the same thing, and it's time for it to stop. And we want to be part of the solution. There are other ways to do business. You can, like the Opal plant down in Belfast and the Madison Mill being reconverted to use wood products for insulation as opposed to the fiberglass stuff that now goes into landfills and creates all kinds of issues. So anyway, uh, with, the, with the help of our good friends upriver, we're going to uh, highlight it, and all are welcome. I hope uh, hope people can come. It's a, it's, a, it's a big issue in the state. It's getting bigger. Um, and we need to confront uh, something like this that has multi-generational problems. This isn't just what's best for now. This is this is what's best for the future. And we've got to force industry and, and government to go in different directions, and it can be done. Certainly here in Bucksport, this is a a, a crazy a crazy idea. It, it's just a money maker for 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 AIM. We understand that, but it's. Uh, it creates no jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And also, um, we'll talk about the Bucksport situation, but we'll also want to give a time for our friends from Juniper Ridge to talk about what it's been like for them for the last 20-plus years of dealing with a, with a, with something that is, you know, it's... <laughs> It's been it's been a, it's been a, it's been terrible. They they have to buy bottled water, or they they're given bottled water. They have their property taxes paid for. Why? Because because it makes their their home situations unlivable. But the bigger the big the biggest issue is is that you have groundwater issues all the time. You have river problems. We've got untreated leachate going into the Penobscot River. Uh, just absolutely untreated. Nothing, nothing happening to it. You just effluent going down, and it comes out in the river below where Bucksport Pizza is. If anybody knows where Bucksport is, so um, um, we just need, as as a community and as a state, to to stop the stop the pipeline, stop the pipeline of uh, throwing trash in the ground, which is the cheapest way to do it. But industry, industry and government can wake up and start doing business as usual. So, and, and our job is to stop this present expansion, start highlighting how we can clean it up a bit. You never clean it up once once it's there. It's multi-generational issues. And also, what are the solutions? So, uh, we've been invested since November in trying to do this, and we've been, we've been raising public awareness, and we've been fairly good at doing that. So, but... But of course, AIM is uh, a big, strong outfit, and their their bottom line is how to make money, and this is a resource for them. All right. So the details again about the meeting, the where, when, what, all that. Yeah, Brown Hall, which is an extension of the Congregational Church, which is their hall. We're not associated. With, it's not going to be a, a associated with the church, but they have a hall that they've generously given to us. It's it's on the corner of Franklin and 
Elm Street, which is just right out of right out of town. Just take a just go up Elm Street, and you'll see it right there on the right. Um, and uh, it's March seventh, six thirty, moderated by citizens, and uh, and uh, it will be open to the public. All are welcome and wanted, and. Uh, We'll see what happens. We we expect a pretty decent crowd, but everybody's invited. Do you all have a phone number or email address at this point for people who want to sure. plug in with you? Sure. Anybody interested, you just call me directly at home, um, 469-2066. All right. Thanks for talking with us again today, Don White. Sure. Thanks, Amy, for covering it, and uh, take good care of yourself. We're going to wrap up today with a clip from a recent episode of Around Town, to short feature that airs on Thursday mornings at 8.30, that also featured a local group that's working on climate change and looking for people to get involved. So my name is Naomi Albert, and I'm a project manager with A Climate to Thrive. We're a nonprofit based on Mount Desert Island, and we're working to build a model of local community-driven climate action here on the island And we are currently launching a statewide climate ambassadors program. So this program is designed to help those that are concerned about climate change, but unsure how to actively participate in solutions, really find their place in climate solutions, and also gain the skills and the confidence to be effective climate communicators in their own communities and really get those conversations going. And the program is really based on the understanding that community members are the most effective communicators in many cases to their own communities. We are most receptive to folks that share our values and our experiences. And so having someone from the community sharing about why climate change is important to them and how to really be engaging in positive climate solutions is really powerful. And that's really what this program is based around, is training folks to have that essential knowledge to find their place. So the model of the program really starts out by building that understanding of the climate science um, and the most impactful solutions in terms of our greatest ability to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. It builds upon that with an understanding of the climate action initiatives that are going on in Maine and how folks might engage at different levels. And from there, folks uh, go through a reflective exercise to try to understand how their unique interests and skills and aptitudes and networks might be useful um, in empowering local climate action and really empowering others in their communities to take action with them. And throughout this, we're really building a sense of community among the ambassadors. They'll be from different communities throughout Maine, but we're hoping that folks will be able to connect and share their experiences and build a community of climate action statewide as well. So this will be a uh, Zoom meetings uh, that will be on Thursday evenings from 5.30 to 7.30 or to 7 p.m., and is open to anyone throughout the state and is free. All you would need to do is sign up on A Climate to Thrive's website, and that's at aclimatetothrive.org. From there, you can go to the Get Involved tab, and under the Community Climate Action Hub, you would find the application to participate in this program. And it is free and open to all. And again, there's no prior um, experience necessary to start out. We're really hoping 
to engage folks that maybe, you know, are, have been really interested in climate change and concerned about it, but don't feel like they have a good outlet for action and getting involved. And so this program is really designed for you if that's where you're at. The application is open to anyone throughout Maine. There is no requirements for joining. We're just trying to get a sense of the prior knowledge that folks are bringing in once they begin the program so that we can ensure that we're tailoring the content to be the correct level for everybody. The program really comes with the awareness that there is a growing number of folks across the country that are really becoming increasingly concerned and alarmed about climate change. I think the most recent uh, poll data is around 58% of Americans are either concerned or alarmed. Yet folks really aren't talking about climate change. Only around 35% of people um, at least occasionally talk about climate change to their friends and family members. And so there's that big gap there. And part of that, I believe, comes from the fact that people don't really have an outlet to productively talk about climate change and talk about solutions and what people can do. And so this program is really intended to empower the participants to feel like they have the tools they need to have those productive conversations around climate change that are solutions oriented and really feel like they have an outlet for the concerns that they have to channel that into meaningful action. Statewide launch of the Climate Ambassadors Program is the outgrowth of a pilot front on Mount Desert Island that we ran this fall, and that was very successful. Um, and we got very positive feedback from folks that participated, feeling like they were able to really have a better understanding of the climate science and effective solutions so that they could feel confident bringing that to conversations. And so because of that positive feedback, we decided that we wanted to expand this to be accessible statewide, now online via Zoom. But we want to, while it is an online program, we really want to ensure that it is interactive and people are able to really connect with one another and build those relationships as community building is another key component of the program. That was Naomi Albert of A Climate to Thrive, an interview that originally aired last month on Around Town, but it is not too late to sign up if you're interested at aclimatetothrive.org for their upcoming program. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. You can catch us here on WERU on the first Tuesday of every month from 4 to 5 p.m. Be sure to also catch our short newsy feature around town on Thursday mornings at 8.30. You can reach me at news at weru.org. I'm Amy Brown. Thanks for listening and keep it tuned to your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill. Streaming online at WERU.org and on our smartphone app.